Welcome to Keep the Game Beautiful podcast. Each week, I highlight incredible people who are doing amazing things in soccer, the beautiful game. I'm Anna Turi, your host. Thank you for listening. This past week, I was actually quarantined, which means I'm going to be spending the next two weeks in my house. Luckily, that does give some free time to work on the podcast and get some more episodes recorded, so we're ahead of schedule. Of course, I will be recording these episodes through Zoom. Today with Lynn, I really wanted to talk about how United Soccer Coaches supports coaches during COVID, how they've done it over the past few months, and how they're continuing this program. I did talk to both Ian and Vince earlier this year about the education programs, but not very much about the financial help program. I also wanted to talk to Lynn about her leadership and especially her leadership as a woman and the woman representation in the game. She gave some cool examples and great insight about how it's grown over the years and some situations she's been in where she's the only woman in the room. Lynn actually first reached out to me, which was very cool to have received an email from the CEO of United Soccer Coaches. She is such a great person and a great role model for many other young women like me. I hope you enjoy the episode. Today's guest is the CEO of United Soccer Coaches, Lynn Burling-Manuel. She has been in this position for five years and was a member on the board of directors for 14 years. Lynn has over 20 years of experience in leadership roles like this one. She has also served as the CEO of Soccer America, Chief Marketing Officer for AYSO. Lynn, I'm wondering if you'd like to add anything else or talk about what got you to where you are today. Sure. Um, I have kind of a, an unusual journey in soccer because I didn't play and I didn't coach. Um, and I really came largely, at, I come from a soccer family and I largely came out of the business side of soccer. So that's what I've done for my entire career. Um, and um, I, it is more than 20 years. I, if I have to count, then it makes me sound too old. So 20 years sounds fine. But um, I actually started in the media side of things and Soccer America today is all electronic, but for 40 years, it was a weekly national magazine. It was the largest weekly national publication for soccer in this country. Um, so one of the, uh, a little bit different for me as a woman in the game, I didn't come out of women's soccer particularly. Um, I came out of the larger, it included women's soccer certainly, but it, you know, when I started women's soccer was still pretty, pretty primitive. Um, it was still early. Not many girls were playing. Um, and uh, it, it's come a very, very long way. But for me, I covered the entire breadth of soccer from local to college to pro to international. So that was a really, really useful background for a lot of things. But I also ran the business of the magazine. I was CEO there for just about 20 years. And um, I, I led the effort to take it from print to digital. And that was a, a big move. It was a dramatic move, but it was a really great move also. And then about 15 years ago, I um, got a really unusual opportunity to go to AYSO. And lots of your listeners may not be so familiar with AYSO because it tends to be very heavily in the West, in California. That's where it began. But it is a uh, uh, it's the American Youth Soccer Organization, and it's about a half a million players. 
But what's different about it from a lot of the other soccer organizations is that they don't, um, they're all, I'm trying to think how to describe them. They're, they're a single entity is how we refer to it. So it's one single organization and it's all run centrally. So even though there, at that time there were about 900 AYSO leagues around the country, they all ran out of the office in Torrance, California. So the opportunity to be chief marketing officer let me do some really fun things. So for example, um, for AYSO's 50th anniversary, we did a float in the Rose Parade, which was, all, it was the most, that probably of all the things I've done in my whole career, it was probably the hardest thing. I never had any idea what went into a float in the Rose Parade, and I don't know that I would ever do it again, uh, but we had a lot of fun doing it. And we had big sponsors. We had Fox Sports who came in as the Jersey sponsor for AYSO at that time. So it was really interesting for me. And then when this opportunity came available five years ago, um, I really didn't plan to apply. Um, I wasn't, even though I had been on the board for a long time as an outside director, um, I had, you know, I wasn't a coach and um, I, it was going to make me move from California, where I'm from, to Kansas City, Missouri, where um, that was all new. And um, it really took me a lot of thinking to decide if I, I wanted to do this. And in the end, it, it ended up being a, probably one of the greatest opportunities of my career. Um, I, moving to Kansas, see, I'd never actually lived in snow before. And I think that's actually, as soon as the leaves start to fall off the trees, I start to get worried going, oh no, the snow is coming. And the gentleman who was CEO before me, he was from Boston. So he had to see three feet of snow before he would call a snow day. I need about three snowflakes. And then for me, that's a snow day. Okay, it's a snow day, I'm not driving, um, but it's been a great experience. And United Soccer Coaches, we've gotten to do some really creative and interesting things here. I have a great team and um, our job as we see it is to serve and support soccer coaches. We're an association, a nonprofit association of coaches at all levels. We're the largest coaches association in the world for any sport. Um, we have high school, youth, college and professional. And our job is really to try and figure out how we can make their careers and their journey better through education, through services, uh, and through all a wide variety of support. So that's kind of been my path. It's just a little different than a lot of other people in soccer, but it's been a really good one for me. And I've been really, really lucky for all the things I've gotten to do. So on this podcast, I always start with the same three questions. First, what does the beautiful game mean to you? Um, you know, it a lot of things on a personal level, but I still see, and it's a little bit of a cliche perhaps, but I still see um, soccer and, and truly it is the beautiful game as being the, the one true global language. Um, it's the one thing you could take anywhere, you could take a soccer ball anywhere in the world and put it down and you will have friends. And regardless if you all speak different languages, at that moment in time, you will speak the same language. Um, our military, for example, has found that one of the best things to make friends when they're abroad is to play in local soccer teams and so local soccer leagues. 
And although you know very well how ferocious it can be, um, the rivalries between country, in soccer, I won't even speak about the other side, but in soccer, how ferocious those rivalries can be. But at the same time, you know, soccer brings us together in a very unique way. And there is nothing else like that in the world. And for me, that is the most important thing. What are actions or things you do to keep the game beautiful? Ooh. Well, in this, in this stage of my career, um, I am a very big fan of coaches. Um, I believe that coaches are, um, I won't say the most important thing because obviously at the end of the day, we're all here for the players, but what I hope I achieve and, and my goal and my role is to really ensure that coaches have the education, have the opportunity, have the support to make the game just as beautiful as it can be. Um, and that includes really also thinking about it at a higher level of good sportsmanship and inclusion and all the other pieces that may not be wins and losses on the field, but I think they make our game very special. And um, I think other sports are learning from us what diversity can look like. How do you encourage others to keep the game beautiful? Um, I've been really fortunate in this role. Um, because United Soccer Coaches from the very, we're an 80 year old organization. It's been around for eight decades. It's actually 2021 is the 80th anniversary and the convention in 21 is the 80th convention. And I think that what we do and what I've been able to support is really looking at the core values of the game um, and those, yeah, those are things like sportsmanship and appreciating differences and honoring your opponent. And a lot of factors that I, I think add to the total beauty of our game. I love the game on the field, we all do. And that's just fun in so many different ways. But our sport is, 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 is very large in its reach and what it can accomplish. And if I add anything to that equation, I hope that really making a better soccer culture is, is what I add. Um, we did a fun thing a couple, well, fun is not quite the right word, but I, I think a really important thing a few years ago, which we um, brought a large group of coaches together of all levels recreational coaches, club, high-level club coaches, college coaches, high school, even professional coaches for a day summit. And what we wanted to do was talk about what does it take to create a great soccer culture? And it was interesting because when we all got together, coaches looked at it at every level very similarly. It had to be fun because whether you're a six-year-old or you're a professional player, if it's not fun, you don't wanna do it anymore. And coaches can have a lot to do with whether it's fun or not. Um, but it also is diverse and it has to support families and it has to, so for me, it was really developing our commitment to culture as an association that I, I hope will be the legacy of making it as beautiful as it can be. 
I had originally wanted to ask more about your background, but I think you actually covered that very well. And I'm sure we'll learn more about that as we go on. Sure. And you're such a big name. People can probably Google you and find a bunch out. So talking about woman representation in the game, how have you mm-hmm. seen this grow over the years? You know, the first, and I'll talk about my organization for a moment. The, I'm not going to tell you my age because let's just say that's not a relevant issue, but mm-hmm. the, I went to my very first um, coaches convention a long time ago. And the first coaches convention that I went to, I was the only woman who was there who was not a wife of one of the coaches. And uh, I was very young and I was very new in my role as a soccer editor. That's what had brought me to the convention. Fast forward a lot of years, um, our convention is now dramatic, very large numbers of women coaches at every level of the game. Um, I think we are still, from my perspective, underrepresented and underappreciated sometimes in many elements of the game. And I think there's a lot of distance to go, but the fact that today on the participation level, on the, on the playing level, we're almost 50-50 boys and girls. Um, in high school, the same. College has three times the number of programs that men's soccer does. Um, our women's league is, the NWSL is important, but there's almost nobody on those teams right now who doesn't also have the second job of playing for the national team who's barely making a living. They work hard, but they don't make very much money. And um, that's something that I think has to be resolved. So the upshot of it is lots of good things have happened and we've come a long way and women coaches are important and women female players are important. Um, I think we need a lot more women in the executive ranks. I'm the first female CEO at United Soccer Coaches. Um, And I've, you know, like a lot of women, just because it was a certain time, we've been the first in various jobs, but it's, it's not enough. It's not enough. Women tend to move on to other opportunities because they don't necessarily see opportunities in the game. So from that perspective, I think we've come a long way, but we got a long way to go. So you talk about being the only woman in the room or the only woman that's not a wife of a coach. How can you cope with this and deal with this and be confident and strong in those situations? Oh, you know, I think there's a couple of things. One, I, honest to God, I've been very lucky too, as I've had lots of supportive men in my life um, uh, from a career perspective. Um, But I think it's also um, a lot of self-talk that you have to remind yourself that you belong there. And it's easy. I don't know that it's more girls than boys, honestly, but I know for me, Personally, sometimes it's really easy for me to talk myself out of the idea that I belong there, you know, and that it is intimidating. And on the other hand, I think you also have to, and I give this advice to my nieces and my friends, which is you have to own your power. You have to realize that you belong. You have to realize that you are equal. And whether they think you are or not, is not relevant. It's whether you think you are. Um, My first name, Lynn, L-Y-N-N, is a very common male spelling for the the name Lynn. And early in my career, there were 
more times than I care to count where I would show up for a meeting or an event. And this was before FaceTime and this was before Zoom and I'd show up for an event and they would have no idea it was going to be a woman showing up in the room. And um, there were some very uncomfortable moments and those were really an important experience for me because I found what I had to do was project confidence. I had to project that I belonged. And quite honestly, um, sometimes people say, well, isn't that fake and isn't that, but sometimes you sort of have to fake it till you make it. You know, you have to act the part even sometimes when you don't feel it. And I think players, you're a longtime player now. You, sometimes you find that on the field. It's just as true in a meeting room or a boardroom or any other place. Um, men are fantastic and they have been very important to my career, but it's also very easy to have them talk over you or talk around you in the room or you say something and the man next to you will say, well, what she's trying to say is, and those are things you have to kind of stop right in the moment. And you don't have to do it with anger and you don't have to be rude, but you have to be clear and you have to be firm and you have to, even if you don't feel one iota of confidence about doing it, you kind of have to do it anyway. Um, you get a good game face too, quite honestly. I've had my feelings hurt a lot sometimes, but my approach, and it's not everybody's approach, but my approach is to put that game face on and say, okay, I might have my feelings hurt here, but they're not gonna know. And I'm gonna just project as powerfully as I can and do my job. So might not work for everybody, but it's generally worked for me. Yeah, I've taken a few education courses and it's kind of weird being young, but also being female. And there was one that my dad and I went to and there was this guy, he kept talking over me. And actually mm -hmm. one of my guests, Allie Lipscher, she stood up and she was very loud and passionate about it. And it was actually a very great moment and a great learning moment for me. It, it is. They, you know, it's, it's funny because in many ways they don't. And again, I don't want to say they and make all men the same. That is not true ever. But maybe it's a good learning experience for us all that when you're sort of quote unquote in the power position, because I could imagine it, I, I fear that sometimes people might say that I do it, you know, is that if, when you're in the power position, it's easy to say, to, to not think as carefully about that other person as perhaps you should. And it's, it's not necessarily bad intention. Oftentimes it's thoughtless. And sometimes you sort of have to pull people up and that, and, which is what Allie did. You pull them up a little sharply and say, you know, this is, uh, you need to let her speak. And um, young is actually, I think almost, I don't wanna say it's more difficult than female, but young is tough because there's just an assumption somehow you don't know stuff. And I, I was very young when I started, not as young as you, so I'm very admiring, but I was pretty young and, um, that's really tough. That's almost tougher in some ways because, uh, you know, they're not taking you for what you are. They're taking you for what they think you are. 
Yeah, I've gone into a lot of classrooms actually nervous because I don't know how people are going to treat me and if they're going to respect me as a coach and my opinions. But I actually have met some amazing people and some teach some instructors that I've actually had on the podcast as well that have helped me through that experience. It's important. And actually, you you actually discovered, I think, the key to a lot of this, which is finding mentors, finding allies, and finding friends. And it is it is something that oftentimes women are not as good at as I wish they were, because having that circle around you, that positive, supportive circle around you, is something that is incredibly valuable for your entire career. No one makes it alone, no one. I mean, the most famous people on earth don't make it alone. You have to have that supportive group around you. And it's one of the places to really invest your time and your energy and your thought because you're, you become very similar, I don't wanna say you become similar to the people around you, but if you gather positive people around you, and supportive people around you, you're much more likely to be positive and supportive. If you bring around you people who are negative or critical or whatever, you know, that's contagious. And sometimes you just have to edit people out of your life. You can do it great. You can't always do it when you're related to them, but nonetheless, you can do it graciously. It doesn't have to be mean or done in anger, but you have to recognize that I will be better off if I kind of edit this person out of my life a little bit. We talk about mentors. Who were some of your mentors uh, throughout your journey and what was some of the best advice they gave you? Oof. You know, I've been fortunate and had a lot. And, um, uh, one of them is a gentleman named Hank Steinbrecher. And Hank was at one time uh, the Secretary General of US Soccer, but I had known him for a very long time going back to his coaching career. And um, I have at many points in my career gone to him. I've, within the last few years, I've gone to him a few times and said, I think this is the right thing to do, but I know it's gonna make a lot of people mad. And I'm, and I'm afraid. And his advice was always the same. No, it wasn't even advice, it was a question. Do you think it's the right thing to do? And if I said yes, uh, then he said, you just have to do it. And I have found that to be true. Four years ago, well, not quite that long, three and a half years ago, after 77 years, we changed the name of this organization. It's called a rebrand. It had been the NSCAA, the National Soccer Coaches Association of America for all those years. And there were a variety of things that were taking place that had really brought up the issue. Was it time to think about um, an identity that was broader and bigger and took us into the future and included uh, that notion of bringing coaches together that included the idea of we are global, not just the US, but global. And um, I had uh, my our team did a tremendous amount of work to come up with a name and to come up with a story of how do we tell people about it. And I would say two or three days, and I two or three days before we launched, I I had a crisis of confidence, saying, "What have I done? You know, people are going to hate me, (laughs) or and people I care about are going to be furious." 
And, you know, what have I done? And I called Hank and said, what have I done? And what should I do? And I still have time to stop this. Um, and in the end, he said, you know, is it the right thing to do? And I said, yes. And we did it. So today we are United Soccer Coaches. And it was really the idea of coaches being united together. Um, and that was really important to me. Um, I think one of my sadnesses is that I, uh, although I'm happy about it today, I didn't get some of my best female mentors until I was much older. And um, among those is a woman named Marsha McDermott. And Marsha is a famous female soccer coach. She was uh, with the Carolina Courage. She was a college coach, her last college coaching job. She was the head coach at West Point Army. And um, today she, she was president, uh, she's a past president of United Soccer Coaches. Uh, today, she's an executive coach um, as well. She's been a scout for the US national team. She's just done all sorts of things. But she's one of those folks who, again, as a mentor, when I'm concerned about making good choices or, or I just feel insecure, and, and, I, and I do at times because I think everybody does. She's one of those people I can bounce it off of and she'll never tell me what to do. She'll help me think about, she'll help me figure out how to think about it. And that's been an, an enormous amount of help to me. So those are a couple. So we talk about that confidence that everyone struggles with and those insecurities that others struggle with. How have you struggled with that throughout your journey and how do you cope with that? Maybe only by yourself. I don't know about everybody else, but I think it's really hard. Um, I've done a lot of things. I've got a lot of experience. I've been very, I've been fortunate. I've been very successful at a lot of different things, but each time I start something new, um, I, I usually start out with great confidence. I think it's the right thing to do and I get going and it's all exciting. And then you start to hit moments along the way going, you know, I'm not qualified to do this. You know, I, I don't know what I'm doing. How am I doing this? Why am I doing this? How did I get into this? Am I crazy? Um, and, it, and in some ways, when those moments happen and, and they happen to us all, you kind of have to take that step back you have to reach out to your friends and say, remind me why I'm smart. Remind me, just remind me, you know, I know it's true, but just remind me. Um, and, and in many ways you take a deep breath and go back to this, am I doing the right thing? And you keep going, um, but it's hard. I mean, the first year I came to this job, I, I can honestly say it was one of the uh, most interesting and enjoyable experiences, but very frightening. It was very frightening. I'd gotten myself into something very different than I'd ever done before. I moved to a new city with my husband. I left, we left all of our friends and family behind. Um, my husband ended up having um, a pretty serious illness right after we got here. And all of a sudden I felt, God, I've got a new job and a new city and a sick husband and oh my God. And you know, in many ways, it was probably one of those moments where I really felt, um, you know, my confidence got hit very hard because a lot of that traditional network of friends and family was all of a sudden thousand miles away. And, um, you know, you go back to the basics every time you do, you remind yourself why you did something, you, um, you be good to yourself. 
you go out and you walk around the block a few times and you, and you breathe. And I do believe that's actually one of the most important things of all is you sort of have to slow down and breathe deep and remind yourself that what's the worst that can happen. And one thing I have discovered in my career, and I have done some, what I think are some pretty bold things that had at least the opportunity to get lots of criticism. Um, and, in, and in many ways, it is just breathing deep and keep going. And frankly, embarrassment doesn't kill you. Lots of things in life, the worst that can happen is you're gonna be embarrassed. You're gonna be embarrassed if you fail. I mean, I, I don't know about other people, but that's terrifying to me. If I fail at something, that's gonna be so embarrassing. And um, I have determined that if that's the worst that's gonna happen, do it. You live through embarrassment. You know, if it's life or death, that's different. If it's, you know, I mean, and you sort of, but if it's embarrassment, nah, just keep going. You live through embarrassment and you feel bad for a little while and then it goes away. So we talk about your leadership as well. How does this develop throughout your positions? You know, it's interesting because I, I, I am, I don't want to say I'm struggling more today. I'm finding that my leadership style and capabilities change. And some of it is the world is changing. Um, it was, um, I, I am learning new leadership lessons today. One of the, probably the realities of much of my, my life, my career and my leadership was I believed that even though I was very supportive of my employees and my staff and my colleagues, and I felt that people thought I was very kind and very helpful, um, I still tended to always kind of keep distance, a little bit of professional distance, and perhaps was not as, as personal as perhaps I could have been. And as I've gotten older, I am finding, well, I'm, as time has passed and times have changed, especially with younger employees, there needs to be a much more personal connection and a much more visible personal support and a real better connection sort of emotion and heart. And that's been harder for me than I thought it would be. I tend to be protective of myself and being able to be authentic and to be um, you know, transparent and open. I'm learning today um, uh, new, new things to make my leadership, I hope, more successful. So I, it, you don't stop learning ever. And I certainly have had the good fortune to have a lot of really great people I have worked with. And that, and I have friends, my, my team at Soccer America, um, that's some of them we met 40 years ago, we're still very close friends. And I think of them as family. And um, so I, it's, a, it's, it's a learning experience your whole life. You always are learning how to be a better leader. What leadership qualities do you think made you the most successful and how do you try to help others with these leadership qualities? Now that's an interesting question. Um, one of the things I like to think I'm good at and I think it's been very helpful for me is, is being able to, in my mind, put myself in the other person's shoes. Um, I don't know that you would think of that off the top as leadership 
But I think it's one of those things that um, whether it's somebody I'm negotiating with, whether it's an employee, whether it's somebody I'm selling a product to, whether it's a, you know, an organization that we're, we're addressing and, and trying to make changes. What I try and do always is, is say, okay, I know how I think about this, but how do they think about this? What's important to them? And I always try and assume, it's not always a fact, but I try and assume the other person is actually coming from a positive place too. They're not just trying to be a jerk, even though I might feel that way in the moment. And my job to a degree is to put myself in their shoes and understand their position. And the, I, the more I can do that, almost always, the more successful I will be. And I try and teach others to do that as well. Moving on a little bit, how has United Soccer Coaches helped coaches during COVID times? Whew. There's never been anything like this, that's for sure. Um, two or three things we've done. What we did right in the beginning and have continued to do was become a resource hub for coaches. Um, we created a resource um, section in our website that it wasn't just, you know, soccer information. It was <clears throat> how do you apply for unemployment or how do you, you know, how, how, do you how do you find other kinds of work if all of a sudden as a coach you're unemployed? Because that's what we saw right in the beginning. If kids don't play, coaches don't work. And certainly many of our coaches are volunteer or part-time and have other jobs, but many coaches are full-time at this. And all of a sudden their, their livelihood was gone. So for us, it was really trying to gather. We didn't see ourselves as the experts. We felt that the better path was to find information from across the country, around the world, from every avenue, and bring those really quality links together into a central place. So a coach could go to one page and find out how to apply for unemployment, how to work with their kids over Zoom, how to negotiate with their club, all of those things in one place. That was very important to us. Um, but what we've also done, and I'm very proud of it, we have a United Soccer Coaches Foundation and the foundation um, did a shift in how it usually does grant making for each year for coaching courses and things like that. This year, they, they didn't do any of that for this year. They brought it all together and said, we know coaches are having a hard financial time. Let us pay for their, their dues. Let us pay for the United Soccer Coaches dues because we realize they may not be able to. And we have been able to pay for several hundred people or at least assist them in terms of paying for their uh, United Soccer Coaches dues, which I really thought was a, a, an important thing to do because um, we also made um, content free for lots of, we created a 30 day sort of uh, trial or an introductory membership. And it was really just, and it was free, but we were getting people saying, you know, I'm, prob I'm probably not right for United Soccer Coaches, but I've got time on my hands and I'd like to learn. And so we made the decision to make as much free content and information. We do dozens of online courses um, and, and, a, and a pretty vast online resource library 
of uh, videos and lesson plans and magazine art, I don't know, all sorts. It's got a over a thousand pieces in it. And they're all for our members. But we decided during this period, especially in the beginning, let's, let's make what we have available to those who need it. So that's the approach we've largely taken. I actually talked to Vince and Ian earlier this year about United Soccer Coaches and the education during COVID. Mm -hmm. Do you see any shifts to the education and the way you will serve members after the pandemic? You know, we've talked about it a lot because yes, there's been an enormous shift. Um, United Soccer Coaches, education is part of our mission. Um, as part of one in our core values, we do education at every level from the highest level to all the way to coach education for moms and dads. Um, but very quickly, we realized that all of that traditional in-person education couldn't happen. And what would we do? And yeah, Ian Barker is our director of coaching education and Vince Gansberg is our um, manager who oversees all of our, our internet content and coordinates all of that. And what they did was they took some of the time that became available to them because they were not doing in-person courses and they reimagined our courses as blended courses. So they are online, they are components that are through Zoom, but also components that are you know, strictly uh, work that, a, that a, one of the, the um, candidates has to do. Um, we've been able to bring the candidate groups together over Zoom. So we were able to use the technology that's available and they were really creative about it. And we've gotten rave reviews about it. And it's made us realize we will, we, we will always do in-person education because for many of us, it's still probably our best way to learn. But the entire coaching community, just like everyone else, is getting used to being able to get that kind of education online. So that's what we've done. And I think we'll continue to do that long after COVID is over. I know just after convention last year, we really started to hear about COVID. And I know the convention is a major event for coaches to connect to so many people. So could you talk about the decision to go online for this next convention? Sure. Um, we thought we had just lucked out because we had finished the January 20 or January 19, no, 20 convention on January 20th. And the first COVID case was identified in Washington in, on January 21st. So at convention, it wasn't a thing yet. Um, within days, it was a thing. And then March 16th, our entire office went to working from home and we haven't been back since. So it was an enormous change. But honestly, I think we still all believed that we would have an in-person convention. It was supposed to be this coming January in Anaheim. We were looking forward to the palm trees and the sun and California in January. And then it became very clear that that was not going to happen. It was just not safe. It wasn't safe for our coaches. It wasn't safe for exhibitors. It wasn't safe for anybody. So we made the decision to cancel, which was a very dramatic decision for us. It's the first convention that has not occurred in person in 80 years. And I was the CEO who was going to decide that. Again, kind of a scary decision. 
But what we have done is we are um, holding a digital convention. And frankly, we've become very excited about it. It is going to be different, but it is going to be really expansive and unique. What we had to ensure is it wasn't just a bunch of Zoom calls. It had to be meaningful. It had to be um, uh, have the networking and it had to have all of the other features of an in-person convention. And we're actually going to have a, a live studio in Kansas City that will be the host and the hub. And then we are bringing speakers in from all over the world and all over the country to, to present. Um, via Zoom, but it will be hosted by live um, hosts inside the uh, inside our studio. Um, Dean Linky, who does the United Soccer Coaches podcast, will be our primary MC. Um, but we are also we put out our social schedule the other day. There will be receptions. There will be uh, we we I shouldn't say it to you, but hanging out at the bar is a big deal for a lot of folks at the convention and that's not an option this time around but they're having virtual happy hours and virtual meetings not meetings but again social things um, our advocacy groups are holding their hospitality hours to get together and be able to say hi and meet each other um, we have a grand digital exhibit hall that is being sponsored by verizon and we expect over a hundred exhibitors to take out virtual booths where you can chat with on, you know, in real time with uh, the folks in the booths. There'll, there'll be demonstrations of the various products that they have. Um, we'll have, uh, you know, a wide variety of programming of panels and lectures and uh, field sessions and, all, you know, all of the things that we do at a traditional convention, but in a new way. Um, it'll be different, but it also has some unique advantages. Um, it's expensive to come to convention. The registration is certainly, uh, you know, it's not the biggest expense. The expense is travel and hotels and meals and all those sorts of things. So that's gone. This is a convention that all in is under 200 bucks. And that includes uh, recordings of every session that will be available to you for a whole year. And um, we think it opens up a lot of new opportunities for folks who couldn't come before. We have, uh, you know, a thousand Texas high school coaches, for example, who have never been able to come because they play at that time of year. And they've said, well, at last, you know, you've done it for us. So it'll be different. It'll be a lot different, but we're excited about it. Then in 2022, we're back with an in-person convention and we'll actually be in Kansas City. So everybody will have to come to the, we, Kansas City is literally the middle of the country. I mean, dead, the middle of the country. And um, so that should, so we look forward to that still. I'm all signed up for podcast row. So what should uh, I expect this year? Oof. You know, it'll be different. <laughs> Uh, just to describe Podcast Row to folks is that we, at our convention, we've invited in uh, a, a number of the soccer bot podcasts from around the country, including Anna's, and, um, and uh, feature them sort of in the general area so that, you know, celebrities and, and attendees can chat on the podcasts. And they've been very, very popular, both for the podcast and for our attendees. So this year, we are indeed trying to do it virtually. 
And we will have everybody, each of them will have, you will have uh, one of our virtual booths so that people can sign up and they can come visit you and you can broadcast and you can tell, let people know when certain, when specific um, interviews will be and that sort of thing. So I can't tell you that I'm as good as painting a picture of it as some of my colleagues are, but they tell me it's gonna be really cool and really fun. So I think we've made it to our final question. I have this question that I ask every guest. What Uh do you hope people remember about your impact to soccer and the world? Ooh. You know, I hope that they remember that I really cared and that I was really passionate about it. And that for the good things that I do, I mean, as time goes by for, mo- for many of us, and I see this with lots of soccer people as they, they get older and they kind of fade out of the game, they feel forgotten. And in some ways, I'm o- I don't wanna say I'm o- okay with that, but I, I'm, it's really important to me that people remember that whatever I did, I did with passion. And whatever I did, I was really committed to. And that there were no strings attached. I didn't do it because I wanted to be famous. I didn't do it because I wanted people to remember me in the future. I did it because I cared. And I did it because it was what I love to do. So I'm hoping that people will remember that. Great, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Aneth. I appreciate you including me. I'll go ahead. One of my favorite moments while talking to Lynn was learning about the woman representation in the classroom and learning about her personal experiences and some of the experiences I gave. I like learning about the other difficulties that women have faced in the classroom because I know that would have been much more helpful to me going into my first classroom experience. And I did know a little bit, but not what I know now and how it would be hard and difficult, especially being young as well. It was also fun to learn about what convention will look like this year. It is going to be different, but I hope this gives everyone an experience to get educated and to be able to participate in the convention. And also stay tuned for what for a podcast for this year. I hope you enjoyed the episode and until next time, remember to keep the game beautiful.